All right, it's your boy K. Jeff. Uh, I'm the host of the Unashamed Sports Podcast on the Family Podcast Network. Your money. All right, first up, we have Daddy Ball. And I just want to give a huge thank you to my man's Cheats from the Family Podcast Network, who will be here with me today um, on the ones and twos. Thank you, Cheats. Um, it's just going to be your boy K. Jeff by himself today, giving you all that spicy hot data. So, first up, we got Daddy Ball. All right. I, I, now, I know. I'm going to ruffle some feathers um, with this topic. And that's what it's intended to do. I mean, everybody has their own opinion related to uh, sports. And I know when you start talking about uh, parents in sports, it, it rubs a thin line between a lot of folks. And I can speak from um, a parent's perspective and I can speak from a coach's perspective because I've done both. So let, let, let's talk about it, man. I, I've heard and I hear, and we all have, if you've been around youth sports, if you've been around sports long enough, I'm not even going to say youth sports, but just sports in general, right? They're everywhere you go, I don't care what side of town you go on, I don't care what region or you know geographical location that you decide to um, participate in related to sports, you're going to always, always see a situation where a dad um, coaches their kid. Which always brings the question from others, you know, is that kid getting, you know, and so let me just explain for those of you who don't know what I mean by daddy ball. Daddy ball is basically preferential treatment from the kid of the dad. Right. So your kid might not be um, or you might think that your kid is better than another kid. But if their dad coaches, they might get more, you know, more shine or more favoritism or more opportunities to perform. Right. That happens all across sports. We've all seen it. Um, I, I've got some 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 takes on what I feel related to that, um, and I'm gonna start with this. Okay, first of all, in youth sports, let, let's start it off on the youth level, right? In every aspect of youth sports, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, the dads who do coach these teams are all volunteer coaches. Okay, so the notion of you know, this dad is favorite, you know, showing favoritism to his kid. I, I just always started off there. Whoever this dad is, you know, wherever they come from, whatever they're doing, they are a volunteer coach, meaning they're not getting paid for any of their time. Right. So their commitment to coming out and coaching or being a part of whatever it is that they're, you know, decide to do is all volunteer time. OK, that's number one. I say that to say there's a quick remedy to daddy ball, right? Sign up to coach. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple to me. If you feel like your child has ever been a victim of the other side of daddy ball, meaning that someone's kid might have gotten a unfavorable advantage against your kid, then you can sign up and coach, right? We all have that opportunity. Every year we, we take part in sports or as a parent, you sign your kid up. Right. They always ask who who wants to help out. Right. Who wants to volunteer their time? Um, and granted, you can only have a certain amount of coaches. But in that event, if you can't find a place where you can coach and volunteer, then you might need to find somewhere else to take your kid. If, in fact, you fear that like daddy ball is going to come and play um, in whatever sport it is that your child may take part in. Now, that's number one. Number two. And this is going to, you know 
kind of contradict my first statement, but do I think daddy ball exists in sports? Absolutely. All right. But it depends on how you look at it, because as a father, now I'm going to give you my fatherly perspective first. As a father, if I'm coaching a, a group of kids and my son or my kid happens to be on the team, then you always absolutely want the best for your child. Now, the assumption, and I think this is a false assumption, is that the coach, whoever they are, whether you have a child on the team or not, should want equally the best for all kids on the team. And because you show your kid favoritism, I don't necessarily think that takes away from you wanting the best for every kid. But if I'm in a situation where I'm coaching and I'm volunteering my time, then yes, I want to see my kid in particular do what's you know, best for the team. And you do have situations where the coach's kid um, gets preferential treatment related to you're going to play X amount of snaps or X amount of plays, or if you mess up, you're going to uh, go at it again. But again, in the context of, well, this coach is showing more or showing favoritism to their kid, can you blame them? I mean, look at it from a parent's perspective, right? Because let's break down with, a, with, with before daddy ball is even in the play. You have a parent who has volunteered to coach, which I've said before, who's a part of a team, okay? So you as a parent, as a non-coach, right, you see things from a perspective of your child, right, which is no different than what a coach sees, but he's just coaching a team, right? So your dynamic shifts from, okay, you're obviously focusing on your child, right? And and in most parents' cases, they you know tend to either like the idea of what my kid is doing or they don't, right? But you're again, you're focusing on your kid. So to 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 ask of a coach, a volunteer coach, not to focus on their kid in the grand scheme of trying to manage other personalities and trying to you know put together a team, it's kind of all to me. It's kind of unfair. Um, I know one of the big concepts in youth sports, and, and I can speak for football because I've coached a couple of years of football myself. You know, every parent wants their kid to be the star, right? You got a team with full of 30 kids, um, and every parent, and I can't blame them. I mean, who, who would not want their kid to perform well? But every parent wants their kid to be the star. You know, every parent wants their kid to, to run the ball, right? Every parent wants their kid to score touchdowns, make tackles, etc. And I'm speaking just football at this point. Um, the truth of the matter is, like, that's impossible. Like, even if a coach wanted to give 10 guys a handoff a game, that, that that's just not how sports work. I don't care what level of sports you watch. You don't turn on the NFL, right, turn on the TV and watch the NFL and see 10 guys get carries. <laughs> that's just not how it works. Even in college where you have – you know, depth charts four, five, six deep at one position, you still don't see four, five, six guys getting 12 carries a game. It's just not how it works, right? Every sports um, team, regardless of where they rank in terms of, um, you know, high school, middle school, college, collegiate, professional, right? They have a depth chart, right? And it's a common theme, right, perception that if you work hard in practice, you earn a spot on the field. I think that where a lot of the daddy ball misconceptions come because parents feel that my kid might be better than your kid. But if your kid, if you're a coach, that's not going to matter. You're going to play your kid before you play my kid. And um, for that, again, I say, you know, you've got to get in entwined with what's going on as a parent, Right. And if the situation isn't for you, if you feel like, you know, you are a victim of daddy ball, because, again, daddy ball happens in every sport, right? It happens in every age bracket. Um, then you need to make a decision that's best for your family. 
because that's just what it is, you know. And, and, and it can be discussed, I think, multiple ways and multiple different facets. But daddy ball does exist. And, you know, if, if you're a parent and you think that your kid is better than the son's kid, than the coach's kid, uh, you have a right, I think, and this is my opinion, to talk to the coach, right, and say, hey, you know, why isn't my kid getting more looks? But in the grand scheme of things, it's always going to be on the coach to say who plays, who doesn't play, and they go from there. <clears throat> Does it matter the level of league and competition and age group of the youth when it comes to parents and coaching and kind of figuring out who plays? doesn't matter um i think it depends on what ages we're talking about because if we're talking about youth football or youth sports mm -hmm. right i'm talking high school under it doesn't matter as much because kids aren't being recruited out of elementary school out of middle school but if we're talking about high school where now the game that your hobby that you've loved so much as a youth now turns into a people are fighting for their lives like you know, high school students, I mean, high school athletes across the world are, are fighting for more than just a sport. They're fighting for scholarships. They're fighting for, I mean, for some kids, it's make or break. It's I make it in this sport or I don't know what I'm going to do. So I think it matters more as they get older. But even to, and I'm going to take that back. It does matter in, in, I think, youth sports to a different degree, though. I think it matters from the standpoint of development, right? Because if I'm a kid in any sport and my opportunities are limited because I fell victim to daddy ball on my particular sports team, then how can, and, and I mean, and for what it's worth, not every kid is fortunate to have fathers or family members to work with them outside of practice. And so if they are, you know, if, if they don't have a voice that will speak up for them, like I'm talking to kids who fall victim of daddy ball, right? And not to say they aren't as athletic as the coach's kid, but if like, if they have minimal opportunities to showcase their skills, which hence is a detriment to their development, then they may grow up to not be as good because, you know, if you have one kid who's getting burned and getting in the game and, you know, having opportunities and then you have another that's not, it's kind of almost unfair to even think that these two youths or these two kids will even grow up on the same trajectory, not from a, a, a talent perspective, but from a developmental uh, perspective and, and so I think I, I take back what I initially said I think it does matter on every level but I think to a different degree because you're going to see naturally we will see more parents coaching ch their children at a younger level I mean it happens at all levels yeah. but you will see more of parents uh, I'm a parent I coach my sons he's seven I coach his baseball team and so we're in the middle of baseball season now, and we have five volunteer coaches, all parents mm -hmm. um, of those teams. And so, yeah, as a head coach, I'm always wrestling with where do I slot my son to make it seem uh, equal to his talent level. And so, but I also have to put into perspective, or I think, a lot of volunteer coaches have to put into perspective that at six to eight years old, little league baseball field, they're paying us right. to be a part of this experience. And we want to make it the most effective, most, you know, de developmental standpoint 
Um, we, you know, different coaches have different philosophies on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not too focused on winning games at six through eight years old, but some coaches are. Right. Some coaches sure. are like sure. they'll yeah. leave your uh, your your kid in the outfield all game, <laughs> and so there is yeah. there is definitely a different um, philosophy in regards to I think how competitive the leagues are now. They also pay for what's called travel ball these days, right? And they pay for travel ball, but travel ball is very competitive. You might realize if you're on a travel basketball team or a travel baseball team, you could be paying just as much money as the stars, and you still might not get your minutes. I think that's a little bit different than, say, youth, even if it's youth football. I just don't know how these volunteer coaches, like you're saying, are supposed to balance out some of these challenges as you know, as they move through that course. Yeah, and you know, you raise a good point. Those are all good points. And I think that the the bigger point I want to kind of drive home to is it always looks easier from the sidelines. Right? It, it it always and I mean I don't care what sport it is. And I'm again, I've been on both sides of the coin. I've been a coach, I've been a parent. I have coach teams where I have not had a kid on the team, just out of the pure love of the sport, right? I will say for me, and this is speaking for me, my love, my passion, my drive, my commitment and goals didn't change on the teams that I coach without a kid any more or less than they did when, I had, when I've had teams that I've coached with both my kids at this point in their, you know, in their young careers. So, but, I, but I agree, it, it's harder than it looks because, you know, as a coach – you know, you're faced with the task of making all the parents happy, right? Like you, like most coaches generally want to make parents feel comfortable with whatever it is that they're doing. But the truth of the matter is, and the more you, the longer you coach, you realize it, it's impossible. Like I can't make every. It's always going to be a disgruntled parent. It's always going to be a parent complaining about either what position their kid is playing, the time that their kids or the opportunities that their kids are given. Uh, but again, that's driven home by it's a lot harder than it seems to be able to manage that. And especially when you have a kid on the team, you're always teetering that line of, am I showing, Am I giving my kid unfair advantages? Some coaches don't care. I've, I've seen in some situations it's like, look, it's known by others that, hey, that's the coach's kid. Don't say anything. Don't do anything like that. And, and I've been in other situations where it's like, Coaches are even more hard or harder on their children because, hey, you know, you're my kid. I'm gonna require, I'm gonna expect more from you than anyone else. And if you don't perform, you're gonna be on the bench with, you know, with everyone else that doesn't perform as well to get in the game. So, I'm gonna wrap up and say I think that Daddy Ball um, is it real? Absolutely. Can it be fixed? Who knows? But I, I do know that there are a bunch of layers. Um, and I can have a whole segment on Daddy Ball and, you know, what it relates. And, and my hope is to get it, so get someone on here here soon that could kind of give another set of perspectives related to Daddy Ball and, and dads coaching youth sports and sports in general to see um, what other, fe- other people may think. But um, I'd like to hear from you all as well. So if, if you have comments um, related to, you know, Daddy Ball and just that topic of, you know, parents coaching youth sports, um, I love to hear from you. Let me ask one thing before you wrap up. Okay. Because there's a there's a situation that is it, it's basically played out now and it's it's pretty much done, but it affected 
one of Central Virginia's most talented at the t- you know talented quarterbacks over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and it's a very clear example, possibly clear, of Daddy Ball at one of the highest levels. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this. Deion Sanders mm. is the coach of Jackson State. Uh, his son is now going into his second year as the starting quarterback. Henrico High School star Jalen Jones uh, from the last couple of years. I don't know if you remember Jalen. I do. Jalen yep. played at uh, Henrico. Mm-hmm. Um, went off to Florida. Transferred from Florida to Jackson State. Uh, the year so started at quarterback. The year before Sh- Shador could start, uh, instantly <laughs> transferred out <laughs> of Jackson State uh, and, and from Coach Prime when his son could play the starting quarterback role. So now Jalen's over at Bethune Cookman, but at that level, <laughs> the highest you know at this point, Jackson State has more eyes on it than a lot of. Uh, top tier yes. Division One programs. Yeah, Coach Prime has two sons on the team and the starting quarterback. That obviously moves other recruits that were there either before him or right when he got there out. Uh, is that an example at the highest level of what you're talking about in Daddy Ball? That's a fine example um, for sure. I think <laughs> what we saw there is what we see. All the time. Now, at to, at that level, you know, um, I think that is definitely unique because I mean, Prime in his own right is, is his own platform, right? So I mean, did you not think that his son was? I mean, I don't care if his son was like the worst person on the team. His son was going to play whatever he said he was going to play. So that was the unfortunate situation for Jalen. Um, and I'm glad that he was able to pick back up and continue his dreams at Bethune Cookman. And I, and I, I don't know Jalen personally. I, I do remember when he quarterbacked at Henrico um, and, and you know did well with that team. Um, and I'm Henrico alumni, so big ups to Jalen. Like I said, I don't know him personally, but um, big ups to what he did for that program in those couple of years that he was there. But I'm gonna say this, you know, I, I feel like in his situation, he was definitely on the wrong end of Daddy Ball, right? But who's to say that at some point in his career? whether it was youth sports, high school, middle school, he wasn't on the other side of the coin for, and he benefited from, you know, being a byproduct of having his dad involved or, you know, having connections. So I think it it, it works in both ways. When you're on the side that's the favorable side where you benefit from your dad's presence and, or his coaching, direct coaching, then I think it's a win. But then, when you're not, it sucks, and it, it makes you raise questions. And it doesn't feel good. It never feels good when you're on the other side of it. Um, and I've, I've had children on the other side of it. I've had parents tell me they feel like their kids are on the other side of it. But I think another example to use, since we're using, like, that college platform, is because we've seen that before. Um, Dabo Sweeney, the head coach of Clemson, um, believe it or not, had some of his – I want to say he had two sons, at least one son, play for Clemson. Um kid didn't really play a whole lot like I think it was funny because I want to say like this last son who played was like his senior year and he caught like a touchdown and it was like a big ah moment on the team because he really hadn't done anything up until that point um is that still a instance of daddy ball even though he didn't play a whole lot yeah 
It is. Why? Because you still had his son on the team, right? And who's to say that another player may be better than his son could have used that roster spot, right? So granted, you might not have started. You might not have contributed a whole lot in this situation. And I'm sure they didn't use a scholarship for his son. His dad's the coach. I'm sure they had their resources. But but who's to say they didn't? But in that situation, if a kid's ble- if a kid's better, right? So let's say he was the fifth or sixth receiver on that on their depth chart for four years. Was the true number five or six better than him? But it was a situation where, hey, you're the fifth or sixth receiver on our depth chart. So like when, when we get down to the depth chart, like you're not one of our star receivers. So. You know, we're going to use this position for, for my son. Um, who knows? But I still think that that's the instance of daddy ball. And let me just be clear. Not all players benefit from daddy ball, right? Some players actually benefit less because they aren't primed for whatever role their dads are trying to give them. So just because a kid's dad coaches the team, that doesn't mean that kid is going to be great. But I think that that's where it rubs people in the wrong way because if you have a kid that's performing, great. But if you don't, then... You need to move them out of the way. And as a parent and as a dad and as a former coach, I will say, like, that's always been my mantra. If my kid isn't performing well enough to to to, to earn a position, then they won't they won't be there, right? Um, but that's me. Everybody's different. That's why I say it's a volunteer job. So if you – whatever your takes are, um, sign up and coach, man. I'm sure leads across the world – need coaches so you know there are ways to alleviate stressful situations related to daddy ball and then there are some situations where you can't control it because you can't just wait until your kid goes to high school for me I like for other people to coach my kid because my hope is that one day my kid will be able to play on the next level whether that's college or you know whatever the case may be and I know realistically speaking that I probably won't be able to coach them then so you to me and this is just my opinion you get your co- you get your kids primed to be coachable from others in hopes that that translates through their lives on or off the field, you know, which is a topic for another day. But um, that's my take, man. I, I, I'm interested to see what everyone else has to say about that. Tashawn Debo Samuel, all right, all-pro wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, all right? For those that know me, it's no secret. I don't hide it, right? I'm not ashamed anymore. I'm a 49ers fan, die hard uh, my whole life, been liking the Niners um, since 95, right, a year after their last Super Bowl, but we've been to a couple since. So, obviously, this, this hits home with me, all right, in recent weeks. Um, well, about a week and a half, really, you know, developments have come across a, a variety of different platforms related to what's going on with this situation. And, and it's confusing, I mean, because it came out of nowhere, right? Like, let's rewind, let's rewind a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the 49ers, came out talking about, you know, giving an update for like the offseason and, and, and at that time the draft. And said, like, you know, one of the players he talked about was Debo Samuel. And he just talked about, you know, their uh, relationship and how Debo was, you know, someone that, you know, came to his office often and just kind of really portrayed an image that they had a great relationship. All right. Only for like a week later, 
like reports to start, start started to surface saying like Debo was requesting a trade. What the hell? Like what? The only problem with that was like Debo wasn't saying anything, right? He he was keeping um what was going on like tight knit. And then John Lynch came out a week ago, right, right before the draft, um, uh, and did a pre uh, draft presser and like reporters of course wanted to know yo what's going on with Debo like is he requested a trade only for him to be like yeah um, you know we're not going to get into that for, for both parties for the sake of both parties and so all folks are stuck doing at this point is speculating now since then you know at, and <laughs> it, what I'm going to say is I've never I followed Debo since his rookie year out of South Carolina, obviously, as a 49ers fan. And, you know, he's he be instantly became one of my favorites just because how hard he works, right? Like, that dude as a rookie, and remind you, we went to a Super Bowl his rookie year, fell short to the, to the Baltimore Ravens. No, I'm sorry, we fell short to the Kansas City Chiefs. We fell short so many times in the Super Bowl now. I'm, I'm confused, but we fell short to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but Debo, like, he, he did his thing. I think much of his development, his rookie year, had a lot to do with um, our midseason edition of Emmanuel Sanders um, at that time, who's, who was with the Denver Broncos. And Emmanuel came and helped a lot of those young guys develop at that time that we had. So um, I was an instant fan, man. And then it was so great to see him this year bounce back to the player that, like, I didn't even imagine him that he'd be this good. Like, I mean, we knew Debo was good and, like, we hoped – um, and a funny story, my son actually, <laughs> um, I was I was doing my fantasy draft last year, and uh, Debo was available like late later in the rounds, and I was going to pick somebody, and he was like, nah, get Debo Samuel. And he almost won me my fantasy leave, man. It, it, it was an amazing pick. Um, Debo did, did numbers last year, and so I'm glad I, I, I picked him up. But nevertheless, um, he, had a, he had a little injury. I um, battled through a couple of injuries, actually, his second year, and then last year he just took off as a wide back. As he then coined it, you know, some running back, some receiver. He had over 17 all-purpose yards, um, like 16 touchdowns as a receiver and, like, the running back three options. So um, he definitely helped that team. So, again, we're all stuck speculating because nobody is saying anything. Like, no one in Debo's camp, no one in San Francisco's camp is saying anything. There was a back and forth with Debo and o Odell Beckham Jr., uh, this past weekend where Odell came out and like tweeted like just got the tea from 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 Debo Samuel should I spill it and he was just you know he was trolling you know they they they, they shared a few tweets back and forth and at this point you know Debo has himself come out a couple of times on, on social media and like tried to put the rest some of the rumors and like kind of laughing at some of the um, things that have been said you know from around the sports world and Again, everybody's stuck speculating, but I'm going to dive a little bit more into it because I know my team, right? I love Debo, and I'm just going to say this. I, I'd hate to lose Debo, right? Like, it'd break my heart for a couple of days if we if we parted ways with Debo Samuel just because of how much he means to that locker room. Like, Debo really represents what it is that we want out of players. He's tough. He grinds. He's going to give you everything he has and more so to lose a player of that caliber, just not even from a talent standpoint, but just from what he brings to the locker room would be um, disappointing, uh, to, to say the least. But I say that to say, if he doesn't want to be there, right, like if they can't work through whatever it is that's going on, and to me it seems very personal, 
Um, I just don't know how, how it would have gotten so personal so quickly. But if it's personal to Debo, and again, I'm just speculating, um, or if it's personal to San Francisco and we can't work through it, the worst thing that you want in, in, in trying to build a championship team is to have a cancer in the locker room. How do you rate Debo as a position? I think the challenge in a lot of ways is, is he a wide receiver? Is he a running back? How do you pay him? Do you pay him as a wide receiver? Do you pay him as a running back? Well, he, he I mean, he's an athlete, <laughs> right? And you know how in college you have the position, like you have the top athlete, or in basketball you have like combo guard. Like Debo is all of that. I mean, for the betterment of him and his sake, he, I'm sure he'd like to be classified as a receiver because – I mean, it's just this offseason alone, like, receivers have gotten banked, man. Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, these dudes have reset the market. And then we saw A.J. Brown, who was traded to the Eagles just during draft day, um, get paid. He didn't quite top the numbers that those guys made, but he got paid, I think it was like a four-year, $100 million extension, which, you know, averages out to about $25 uh, million annually. I, you know, to to rank him, I think is unfair because he does so much. But if you're speaking, I mean, he's a, he's a receiver on paper, right? So if I'm looking at receivers around the lead, and I'm saying where does Debo fit? Because I don't think you can rank him as a running back. I think that he runs the ball, but not enough. So I, I think to to rank him amongst the likes of Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor, uh, Najee Harris would be unfair because these guys are getting five times as many carries and touches. Um, primarily at that spot. Debo's uh, will run you four or five times a game type guy. So, I mean, his abilities are off the charts, but he's a, he's a wide receiver. And, I, and I've said this at the beginning of the year, he had a top five wide receiver. Like, running stuff aside, Debo had a top five receiver um, year last year, which is, which is why he got an all-pro because – and you look at his numbers, I think the – and I'm, I'm going to say this, you know, it's going to pain my heart because I just hate the Rams, but the receiver who probably had the most productive season as a receiver last year was probably Cooper Cup, right? And so when you compare – but if you compare Debo's rece- – I'm just speaking receiving stats compared to C- Cooper Cup's now – Cooper got a lot more targets in, in, in L.A. L.A. was going to air the ball out, right? Stafford was was going to air it out. Um, and especially once um, Robert Woods, who they traded to the Tennessee Titans this offseason, went down, it was like it was Cooper's team. Like, the ball's coming to you, Cooper. And he ran such precise routes that he was still getting open. The dude's a beast. I don't take nothing from Cooper Cup. Big ups to him. But if you look at their numbers, like, through eight weeks of – like, so the 49ers really started kind of, like, dabbing with Debo at, at that wide back spot, at that running back spot midway through in the season. We needed something to change, right? We were, like, three and five midway through in – you know, answers needed to, there were questions that needed answers. And so I think Shanahan knew, like, okay, I got a, you know, explosive receiver. I need to get him the ball more. So that was Shanahan's way of getting Debo more involved. But I think that prior to that, he was like top three in receiving yards, right? Receptions and yardage and touchdowns. Like he was, uh, he's a, he was at the very top. Like he was on par with Cooper Cup at that time. Um, I think who still, you know, led, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they they were like neck and neck. You ask yourself, let's say Debo Samuel was in a system where he had a quarterback who was going to give him eight to ten targets a game. Could he keep up with the likes of Cooper Cup? I think he could, right? But with Debo, he's a different type of receiver, right? Cooper Cup is going to run his routes to precision, uh, and Coop does get yards after the catch um, because his, his routes are so precise. 
Debo's a different breed. Debo might take a <laughs> a two yard screen and take it sixty yards, right? And and that's without contact. And then he might get contact at sixty yards and truck you another twelve yards, which is a seventy two yard <laughs> completion. So I think they're two different receivers, but I do think that like as far as playmaking and you know just being versatile and being able to do. What he does, I, I, I put Debo at the very top of the list. I don't think there's another receiver in the, in the National Football League that can do what he does from the standpoint of lining up at receiver, blocking, um, you know, taking the end around, taking the jet sweep. Um, he threw a touchdown in the playoffs, remember, against the Cowboys. Like, that's – the dude's amazing, man. I don't think you can – you know, he's in the prime of his career, and I'd love to see him back. But back to my point of if he does not want to be there, we've got to let him go. Um, and I, and I hope – and. All indications at this point is it could go either way, right? He wasn't traded during the draft, which I think was like if he was going to be traded this year, that's what that's when it would have happened. Apparently, the Jets made like a mediocre offer of like the tenth pick um, in a in a option to swap picks later in the rounds, which I wouldn't have gone for that either. So I give the 49ers their kudos for not going for that offer, but. Um, only time will tell. I think that, uh, you know, it could go either way. I'd love to see him on the team. I'd love to see them work through whatever it is is going on. But we'll see. I think that while we talk about a lot of speculation, I think you already talked about what the issue is. Diva Sanders is gross, Samuels is grossly underpaid at this point based mm-hmm. off of his production. He's still under contract. We have seen wide receiver market change to the point where even if you're not talking about Tariq Hill, Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, we're seeing a lot. uh, I mean, those are resetting the market, wide receiver market, like anything we've ever seen. The reports are Debo is seeking somewhere between 24, 25 million. In his next deal, he is not anywhere close to that amount of money right now. Correct. And the 49ers still have him under contract for, I want to say, like an annual salary of like one million. It's like four and a half. Yeah, million. something. Yes, yeah, so it's fourth year. So, yeah, I think that it goes to like four this yeah. year. And he's looking for. <laughs> a $20 million raise. Something of that nature based off of his performance. So I, I don't think we have to speculate too much where the riff is. I think the riff is financial. The question is, has the 49ers, are they in a position where they think uh, they have a team that is going to compete for the Super Bowl? And is he, based off of all of his history, including a lot of injuries, is he the person that they want to give 23, 24, 25 million dollars to moving forward. If you're John Lynch, what do you do? Um, well, let me say this before I answer that. I think that, and as a 49ers fan, I know that there's a way, especially with this new regime with John Lynch and Adam Peters and uh, Parag Marath. I think I'm saying his name right. Who, who, who uh, he's like our contract guy. He, you know, he's good. But the 49ers have historically, since these guys have taken over, have a way that they do business, right? And that has worked for us the last three to five years, right? And what I mean by that is this. 
Players have excelled at various positions within the 49ers, which is great for the team and for the organization. Um, and I'm, when I say players, I'm talking George Kittle, right? I'm talking Fred Warner, right? I'm talking Trent Williams, right? Just to name a few guys. Three all-pros that I just named, right? And at the top of their list at their, prof- at their positions. These guys all have something in common. A few things in common. One being the obvious, they all got paid, right? Like record-setting deals, like, Fred Warner at the time signed like for the like the highest paid middle linebacker in the NFL, and then Darius Leonard came like a week later and, and topped him, which those guys are great. Um, Kittle did the same thing, and then he and Travis Kelsey kind of went through, you know. It, but like those guys got paid. Trent Williams, to me, the best left tackle in football, got paid. Um, but what they also have in common is they had to wait a little while. Like it didn't happen. Like the season didn't end, and we automatically paid those guys. Those guys didn't get paid until well into the offseason, right? I want to say right before training camp, like, those guys got paid. So if I'm John Lynch, I'm looking at it from a standpoint of a few different things. One, and this is what I think hurts fans the most, and as a fan I'm going to say myself included, the notion that you can't pay everybody, right? Like, you, I mean, from a standpoint of top dollar. Like, we, I mean, as a fan, you have your favorite players, but – there's a salary cap for a reason. You can't, you know, if you've got 11 players on your team that you feel like are the 11 best at their positions, the, the, the truth of the matter is you can't pay all 11 players top dollar. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to fill out a roster of 53. So do you pay Debo Samuels is the question. I. Yes, you pay him. Absolutely. Do you pay him? I mean, it, it, but again, it depends on what he wants. And the reason I'm going to say that is, okay, because – what precedent do you set in the locker room or just in general? Because let's look at it for a second, okay? Debo Samuel wants to get paid, let's say, like A.J. Brown, right? Let's just, and we don't know that. Like, nobody has come out to say, we've heard, we've seen rumors. Debo hasn't come out and said, I want to get paid $25 million. It's been speculated, right? We don't know what Debo wants. We don't know where Debo values himself because nobody's saying anything. But I'd assume that you're right. He wants to get paid in that range. He's comparing himself to A.J. Brown, who's had multiple thousand-yard receiving years, right? I mean, A.J.'s dealt with some injuries, but A.J. Brown's numbers are better than Debo Samuel's numbers. So if I'm the 49ers, right, and I'm John Lynch, and I'm Parag, and I'm these guys, right, and this is maybe where Debo felt disrespected. I'm in the middle of those conversations. I'm saying to him, like, dude, you had a fantastic year, right? Like, like. One of the best, not only in our franchise's histories, but in the NFL. Like, your year, like this past year for you, which is year number three for you, was like top-notch. Is that worth paying you top five money at this point? Like, so from the 49ers, from a business perspective, I'm saying, do it again. Like, go out this year, do it again. We will make you... The high, like you have our word, like and again, again, you know, word is bond yeah, in business, but like you get hurt and then what? But as a forty nine, I'm saying okay, and I'm saying okay, if you want to get paid now, let's meet somewhere in the middle. Because what we're saying is, if you can go out and have another R pro year, stay healthy, show us that you can do it again, we'll we'll make you the highest paid receiver in the NFL. But if you can't wait, and you're saying, well, look, I'm playing on a four million dollar contract this year, my last year, my rookie deal. I want to get paid, then, okay, we'll pay you, but let's start at maybe 21 or $22 million a year. All right, let's meet somewhere, which is still a substantial raise from $4 million, and then maybe you add incentives 
that it could, where it could go up. So, okay, annually we'll pay you $20, $20 million a year, let's just say. But you have incentives built in your contract, and we've seen this before with players. You, you have performance incentives. You have health incentives, right? You have reporting is, incentives related to you reporting the training camp and if you're working and doing all these things where your contract could very well get up to maybe 25 maybe even $30 million. Like, I'm okay with that, right? And, and, th- and that's a win-win for everybody, right? It's the 49ers banking on themselves to say, hey, we're going to pay you. And that still allows us the flexibility to build our roster. But it's Debo banking on himself as well to say, okay, you're right. I had a great year, but my career in perspective, three years in the league, one year as a rookie was mediocre. Second year I was hurt. This year I took off. So, like, Debo's banking on it's going to be more of that. But just a mat. I mean, if you if you had a – if every NFL team – gave players who just, like, exploded one year. And we've seen it happen before. But I just think, I mean, from the grand scheme of if every NFL team paid players top value for one season, right, everybody would be getting paid. How many times have we seen guys, and I look at a situation in Pittsburgh, years and years ago, Mike Wallace, perfect example, right? Mike Wallace was great in that system, right? Wanted to be paid top dollar. It's funny because they ended up offering Mike Wallace a contract that he declined that they then – Gave Antonio Brown at the time, which we know Antonio Brown is now. But, like, to my point, everyone thought it was a huge mistake for Pittsburgh to be letting go of Mike Wallace, right? And then he signed, like, this massive deal in Miami and never heard of Mike Wallace again to the the realms of, like, superstar. So I think that they need to come to the table. I think that, like, Debo is going to have to – and I'm never going to ask a player to tell himself short, but, I mean, realistically, you have to look at – what am I asking for compared to what other guys get? Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, multi-year All-Pros, right? Multiple years of production, multiple years of – I mean, they're both Super Bowl champions. I mean, like, so that just to add, like, some context to that. So I think, like, the, the closest person he would look at – and they have the same agent, actually. So A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, and uh, what's my man from Washington? Uh, Terry McLaurin. McLaurin, they all ha- they share the same agent, which is ironic. So initially, it was like supposed to be Debo's going to set the frame, and then we're all going to get paid. Obviously, AJ Brown got paid first, and, but he had to get traded to get paid. Like I, I don't think that, and so I think AJ Brown actually would have had a better case to get paid because he's had multiple thousand yard re- receiving years. Now I think that he's a freaking nature as well. So I, I mean, I just don't know how much Debo really has to say. I mean, well, he said it like, okay, well, if you don't want to pay me, trade me. Right, like that's kind of, I mean, and he hasn't come out, but I think that's what it, I think. If the forty nine would come today to the table and say, "Hey, we're gonna give you thirty million dollars a year," money talks. He'd sign it. He'd be happy. All this would be an afterthought. But I think as the forty nine as an organization, I don't think they're against paying him. So again, to answer your question, yes, I would pay him, but I think we need to meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> And now we turn our attentions to Christmas time in the summer. Um, all of our favorite time for those who are basketball fans. Um, it's the Eastern Conference, Western Conference semifinals, which will set the stage for both conference finals. Uh, so right now in the East, we are looking at Boston and Milwaukee, which should be an interesting series. Um, Philadelphia and Miami. Um, and then turning the ties to the West, 
Um, we're in Memphis and Golden State um, in Phoenix versus Dallas. So which matchups are you looking um, forward to the most and who do you think um, comes out of of, of both um, series? So I'm going to say in the East, we'll start with the East. I'm going to look at, um, man, that, that Boston-Milwaukee series is going to be enticing. Uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, you got the defending champions, right? So you you have the Bucks, who, to me, I mean, are the most battle tested team. Um, I mean, you could say maybe Miami because I mean, two years ago they were in the finals, but this is a new Miami team, right? They didn't have um, Kyle Lowry two years ago, right? These guys, these guys are you know a, a bit of a different team um, within their rotation. Think better actually, but. Um, you can look at that. But just to focus on that Boston-Milwaukee series, it, it, I definitely think that series goes at least six games. Like, I'm, I'm like, I think, like, we're locked in for six, potentially seven. I think those first couple of games are going to be key. So whoever can, you know, if they can split like those first, I think if a, if a team jumps up 2-0, I wouldn't even be surprised if they go 2-0, 2-2. Like, it, th- those teams are so good. I mean, and, and they have players that, just are you know amazing during a one of our initial episodes right i made a hard prediction right episode two i want to say um got a lot of scrutiny for it right this was at the conclusion of last year so we're talking uh nba uh preseason um i came out and i said man look i won't be surprised if milwaukee runs it back and wins the championship again I got a lot of flack. Man, what? You don't watch basketball, man. You tripping. Man, you, what? You must not know who Brooklyn has, right? And as a Lakers fan, how you going to sit here and say Milwaukee going all this flack, right? For these same reasons. I don't think anybody could have anticipated the struggles that the Brooklyn Nets would have had. Like, that is sad. But more or less, like, Milwaukee plays championship basketball. Like, they play unselfish championship. We're going to beat you with all... Five, six, seven guys, basketball. We've got, you know, top scorer in this league. And so anytime you have that, you're destined to be in the conversation. So I, I didn't think I sh- I, some of the flack that I got at that time was deserved. Like, did you not just see what these people did? Like, they're legit. But nevertheless, here we are again. I'm picking Milwaukee, man. Just I'm going off of my preseason favorite to win it all. And I'm going to go with the Bucks, man. I mean, the big question is the Middleton injury. So Middleton tore his uh, ah, what was it the MCL? That's true. So I forgot about that, and I don't think he's going to be back in this series at all. I forgot about that. So I, I that, I, that yeah, I think that okay. changes everything because Middleton was a twenty point game that, that, playoff yeah. score, clutch shooter, closed ah. their games out. Um, so I do I do think that Boston has the edge. Boston speaking at the right time. I don't put too much stake in what happened, like the sweeping of Brooklyn. We know what happened to Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Is is a shell of a of a basketball team and shell of themselves. Boston is peaking at the right time. They have all their players healthy. Robert Williams is coming back, so yeah. I do think that the Middleton injury is the is is going to make this series go at least six or seven. And if Milwaukee has a shot, it has to go deep. There's a good chance that Boston could win in five or six, uh, simply because I I don't think. You make up Middleton scoring with Grayson Allen and uh, some of the other. Hey, Grayson Allen's had some good games. Yeah, he is. But um, 
Holiday in regards to scoring is it isn't somebody that's going to consistently put up, you know, over fifteen points a game. Uh, Giannis is still playing a, a, amazing, but I I think the the combination of Tatum, Brown, you get Rob uh, Robert Williams back. Smart, if you you know, is going to play defense on the ball probably on Holiday. So I'm going to go with Boston, but I'm only I'm going Boston because of the Middleton injury. I agree. It, so I completely disregarded and forgot about the Middleton injury. Um, so I, I'm going to change. I, I think with Middleton, I, I take Milwaukee, um, as I predicted preseason. Without Middleton, I, I agree. I give Boston an edge. Um, so I'll, I'll change my pick for that series because of that injury and say that Boston, uh, I'm going to say Boston is six. Sixers, Heat. Huh. Another good series. But, but again, another injury that's kind of unknown. I mean, I don't. so Embiid is out. Indefinitely is what they're saying. Okay. And so nobody really knows what that means, but it's a pretty significant orbital bone fracture. I don't expect him back early on. I mean, even if he has a mask on, he had a mask in years past. Yeah. <clears throat> but they, what I'm hearing is this one's really bad. He probably will not play in this series. If he doesn't play, where, where does the Sixers go? There's nowhere the Sixers can go. So no. very tough, very tough. Situation here, oh, but we don't know what the Embiid status is as of right now. I feel so much for Embiid because I feel like he just can't. Like I think he's a great player. Uh, in fact, I think he should win MVP this year. Um, the Joker will probably get it. It's Embiid's year. Okay, I hope so. I like Embiid as a player. I think. I mean, and even with Ben Simmons drama, but without him, it's going to be hard to to go to go with them. Um, so I'm gonna. I, I without Embiid. For however many games or the series, I mean, you gotta favor Miami. You know they're playing well. They seem to be clicking and getting better as as the postseason goes on. Um, if he doesn't play the entire series, I wouldn't be surprised to see Miami winning five. Um, if he can come back, maybe game four or five, and they they happen to sneak a game, which is a possibility. Um, it could be an entertaining se- a series, but. I think without Embiid, they stand no chance. With Embiid, they do stand a chance. In fact, I mean, with with a healthy Embiid, actually, um, they were my favorites to win it all. Like I, I felt like you know they had the big man, they had the guard, they had the role players. Um, not a lot of people picked them, but with with it with a healthy Embiid, I, I picked Philly to win it all, um, just from that one-two punch and just all those guys that they have around them. But without them, they'll be going home early. Earlier than expected, um, and it's unfortunate, man, because I just feel like every year Embiid is is getting hurt or has some things. But when he's when he's on the court, man, he's a a force to be working with. So I, I'm gonna say Sixers. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna say Heat in five without Embiid. Um, and, and if Embiid can come back and be Embiid by by game four, who knows? Nobody knows. Who, who knows? But if he can, and he's healthy, and they've s- snuck a game, meaning if he can come back game four and they, they they're down two one. I like it to be a series, but if if he can't, then I think it, it might be too little, too late, and uh, you'll see the Heat um, advance to the to the to the final round in the conference finals. I mean, here's the thing: where's James Harden? If James Harden steps up and plays like James Harden, along with uh, a very very improved uh, Maxi mm-hmm. for the Sixers, I always like Tobias Harris. I've never not liked Tobias Harris. I think he's a I think he's a good player as well. I think the Sixers have the ability, the grit to push the series deep. Jimmy Butler was also out of game five. He should be back for game one. So, I mean, I, I do think that this is not a slam dunk with or without Embiid. I think the Sixers uh, can play hard. 
without Embiid on the court, I think that it goes from a clear sixer, you're going to overtake the Heat and, and beat them to um, probably, I mean, let's face it, the, the Heat have an edge, but mm-hmm. I, I, I think that it'll be tough. Philly can make it tough. Playing in Philly is always tough as well for any road team, uh, even with experience. So I'm going to lean Heat and six. <laughs> Moving on. Wild, wild west. All right. So the Western Conference semifinals will consist of uh, Memphis versus Golden State, uh, Phoenix versus Dallas. Um, I'm going to say that again because Memphis <laughs> versus Golden State and Phoenix versus Dallas. First of all, let me just say this. What in the heck is going on? The tables have turned, man, in, 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 the, in the NBA, man. I mean, Golden State, we've known about, right? I mean, they, they've had their years with, you know, Clay's getting back to form. And, gosh, that Jordan Poole, which I'll talk about shortly. Those, those guys are all hitting on all cylinders, man. And, and then Ja, I mean, it's just – but that is sad. No Lakers, no Spurs, right? I mean, to a lesser extent, no, no Utah. Like, it's just the teams that you were, are accustomed to seeing – in a, in, I mean, at least in the semifinals, are not there. Like, this new West, um, it's fun. I mean, it, it, it's entertaining to see these young players uplift these teams that um, haven't been rele- you know, relevant in years. I mean, Dallas, we know, had, you know, the Dirk Nowinski days and um, won a championship then. And, uh, you know, Phoenix, you know, had the Steve Nash days and, you know, were very competitive then. Um, you know, Memphis had the the Zebo and Zach Randolph and Mike Conley days, and they were fairly competitive then. But to see these teams now, actually, I think you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see. I'm gonna say that some the three or the four teams in the West. I think Dallas is like a far fourth um, from those other three teams. Um, I'm gonna start with the Grizzlies and the Warriors. I think that that series could be. Interesting for a number of reasons. I'm going to say this before the Memphis-Minnesota series, right? I would have given Memphis a shot to to beat Golden State. Uh, I'm not as convinced now. The reason I say that is, I mean, Ja Morant is one of my favorite young players. He's a dog, man. He's He showed, you know, he was the difference in that Minnesota series, right? Memphis had Ja who was closing games out and putting the team on his back. I mean, they, and their role players did what they were supposed to be doing. And Minnesota did not, right? Minnesota could have won three of those games, right? Like, they couldn't – they just – I mean, that one game they dropped like a 26-point lead in the fourth quarter. And then those other those last two games, like, they were there. They just – I mean, the, the other team had jaw. So, I mean, so I don't know if that says more about Minnesota or less about Memphis. But however you put it, Golden State is hidden, man. Um, I watched them play um, in that first round, um, and I'm gonna say that I mean it, they just got so much. It's it's with the, with with Jordan Poole's just emergence. Steph, Steph, Clay's Clay, Draymond's gonna give you what he's gonna give you. Um, I mean those guys, man. I mean they they you know they got Gary Payton Jr. out there balling, Otto Porter out there balling. Like they're deep. You know Iggy's gonna give you. You know some quality minutes and just what do you bring? So like they they are reminiscent of like Golden State uh, of past years. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the finals, win the finals. You know I, I think 
for purposes of picking a team, I'm gonna pick Golden State, and, and I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say six games. Um, I think they'll they'll win in six. I think um, like they'll they'll be four convincing wins. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see it done in five. I don't think they'll sweep Memphis, but I'm gonna pick Golden State in six. And I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe Minnesota was just a great matchup for Memphis, but I'm not as convinced that Memphis can can get past Golden State. Yeah, no. I, I, I don't. you're <laughs> you're way more confident in uh, Memphis's uh, ability to hang with Golden State than I am. I think Golden State beats them in in, in in four or five. Golden State has everything working right now. Uh, they're healthy. They've got the experience that they need to uh, overtake what is the youngest NBA roster uh, in the entire league with the Memphis Grizzlies. Jaws is, is an amazing player. I think the Minnesota series was fun, man. It was a fun series. Um, really impressed with what Anthony Edwards was able to do. Really impressed with the grit uh, that Minnesota showed. But they are in no way in the same league category bounds of what Golden State is doing. And, and Jordan Poole, man, and we mentioned in the East Coast the emergence of uh, Maxi in Philadelphia. Jordan Poole has done um, some amazing, like just amazing things this season. Obviously, especially during Steph's injury, it was like they didn't miss a beat. I like the young guys as well. Um, don't get as many minutes, but Kaminga and Moody over there at um, in Golden State. Obviously, Andrew Wiggins had his first All Star selection this year as well. I mean, everything that Golden State is doing. With Clay Thompson, let's just let's call it like we see it. Clay is still not Clay. Mm-hmm. He's not Clay before both of those no. leg injuries, Mm-mm. but he's starting to show some flashes. Starting to show some flashes. He's starting to show some flashes. So he's probably still a season away. Yeah. But we've got what Pool. You know, you don't see it with what Pool has been doing and what Wiggins has been doing. With obviously Steph and Draymond. I, I just think that Golden State will 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 really kind of show. The younger uh, Grizzlies, who've just never been there before, right? Yeah. What yeah. playoff basketball, what championship basketball has to look like, and then they they have to run into the other side, which you're about to talk about. Yeah, um, it's not much to talk about. I, I'm as confident as you are in Golden State against uh, Memphis. I am with Phoenix against um, Dallas. I mean, the Devin Booker thing, I think, kind of took them off their rocker a bit. Um, he set out those couple of games. I, my, my thought is if he can come back, well, he's back, and if he can continue to do what he do, I mean, I don't think it's close to me. Luca again, and we talked to the other side, like Ja, like Luca's an amazing talent in the NBA, top-tier player, real-deal athlete, um, a real-deal player. But I, I think I, I'm saying Phoenix in five, um, maybe six, maybe. I mean, maybe Dallas can, can squeak out two home games. Um, you know, Jalen Brunson has been playing great. You know, they've had a couple other guys contribute, but I, I'm I'm going Phoenix to win that series. Yeah, easy. I'm going Phoenix as well. And I think hats off. You know, we, I think we got to say hats off to the New Orleans Pelicans because that New Orleans Pelicans team that the Phoenix played in the playoffs is not necessarily the New Orleans Pelicans team that we saw yeah. all year. CJ McCollum comes into that team, mm. changes it. They figure out a way to make Brandon Ingram the player that he's supposed to be. Yep. Herb Jones. Willie Green did an amazing job with that Pelicans team, yeah. and they did it. Let's and, and let's face it, they did it all without uh, Zion on the court. Uh, this you know this entire season basically. So um, Valanciunas, is like that New Orleans team that they saw was peak New Orleans, understanding everything they had to do, believing in themselves, and on top of that, they get a Devin Booker injury. Devin Booker injury that could kicks him out of a couple games of the series, right? Yeah. So 
uh, what Chris Paul had to do yeah. in Game Seven, where it was uh, the first time what in the history of the NBA playoffs that somebody goes fourteen for fourteen, uh, in just a perfect game. Chris Paul plays a perfect game. Yeah. So technician out there. Um, I, I I'm with you. I believe that Phoenix hits their stride again. Gets gets back in order. And you know what's his name um, played amazing um, this last series, especially with Luca facing injury. Uh, Brunson, right? Jalen Brunson played amazing. Played absolutely amazing. But this team, it, it, we're going to see Phoenix and Golden State, and that's going to be, I think, is going to be a lot of fun um, on that side. So I think you're exactly right where we are. Final predictions, man, and we're going to end it there. Uh, who goes to the finals this year? <sighs> so. Ooh. I don't know. We got. I think we got to come back for another show, right? Because we got to get through the playoffs. We'll have another show. You'll have another show. You'll have your guests back. I don't need to have to make this call um, because I think. Yeah, man. I think. I think we got to see it play out. But I think we'll have another show before then. So if you want to do it, you can do it. But I'm not. Gonna do it. I'm gonna go ahead and do it. We will definitely have another show and have our guys back in in, in the saddle. But I'm gonna say uh, my finalist predictions. Uh, I'm gonna take a, a, a bold leap of faith and say. Uh, out of the West, we're gonna have Phoenix, right? I think they'll, I think they'll nab Golden State in seven. Um, and uh, out of the East, I'm gonna say, uh, I'm gonna say Boston. I think they'll nab Miami in seven. I think both, I think both series will go seven. I think I'm, I'm, I'm setting up a, a Boston and uh, Phoenix uh, finals, and, and, and I'm gonna take it a step further than that. And we'll have several shows before that, but I'm gonna say Phoenix in six will beat Boston, uh, will be the champions, but. Um, make me eat my words, and make me eat my words. But um, that's all we have for you today, folks. Um, tune in next time to um, the Unashamed Sports Podcast, and remember to follow us, um, like us, share us on uh, where you listen to your podcast, and uh, tap into the Family Podcast Network for all things um, podcast. 